Ever feel unable to focus, tired, and just low on energy? We understand that feeling. We understand it so well that the Sports and the World Podcast is brought to you by the Couch Guys Sports Network and sponsored by our friends over at Shocked Energy. Shocked Energy is a drink made by gamers for gamers. All their flavors come packed with 180 milligrams of caffeine to ensure that no matter what you're doing, your focus will always be razor sharp to keep you performing at the top of your game. Their formulas are designed to specifically give you high energy boost when you need it most while ensuring to avoid the jitters after too much caffeine consumption. Head over to www.shockenergy.com and use the promo code CGSN today for 10% off your order. Check out their green apple flavor box or even their watermelon flavor box. Oh, and don't worry, they ship worldwide. That's right, worldwide. Get your shocked energy today and let us help you gain your focus and energy back. The Sports and the World Podcast is brought to you by Exogun. Ever do a workout and feel like you need a massage after? Well, get your massage without leaving the house. Don't let pain and soreness slow you down. Exogun revives muscle, boosts circulation, and releases energy so you can recover faster and live better. Take it wherever you need it. Work, the gym, the trail, and put the power of percussion massage treatment in your hands. It's portable, adjustable, and powerful. Exogun is trusted by the pros to deliver the ultimate in recovery. Like we said before, you can even use it for percussion therapy. What is percussion therapy? Percussion therapy boosts muscle function and recovery by penetrating deep into the muscle tissue with a series of rapid, concentrated, pulsating strokes. Gain back control of your body and achieve long-term pain relief with Exogun. Get 10% off with code CGS10 at checkout. Comes with a charger and carrying case. Go get your Exogun today and treat yourself to a massage at a moment's notice. And welcome into the Sports and the World Podcast here, if you're watching here on Twitter. And joining me today is a guest you're all familiar with. Happy to have her back. It's Tanya Ray Fox. And how are you? Oh, I'm great. How are you? Great. It's it's been too long. It has. Know. I know. It was I haven't even been podcasting on my own podcast lately because it's been like NFL off season. I've kind of been out of the loop. So I'm actually happy to be hopping on your podcast and other people's just to like get myself re into the process for when I relaunch mine. So this is great. Awesome, awesome. Like I said, you have an amazing podcast. We'll get into that. It's it's fantastic. I listen to it. And let's just dive right on in tonight, game one of the NBA Finals. Boston Celtics, after that great win, game seven versus Miami on the road, faces the Golden State Warriors. And let's just jump in. What are just some of your initial thoughts on this matchup, and how do you see this playing out in the series? Yeah, so I've been talking about the playoffs and like what could happen in the finals a ton, like for the last few months, um, which I don't normally do. Like I'm not normally like 
so fully tapped into the NBA as I have been this season, just because I've been focusing so much on NFL and other things at Fox Sports. But because I have had the time to invest in just watching the games and my husband is a huge Suns fan and I'm a huge Celtics fan. So we were both like, okay, this is amazing. Like both our teams, but you know, when they, when the Celtics started going crazy at the end of January and into the rest of the regular season, I was like, okay, like this could be, this could be the year. Like that I started really seeing the Celtics just because of the way that they were playing and finally gelling. It just felt like it had that little sense of like, if it's ever going to work, now is going to be the time. So I have been talking about hoping the Celtics get the Warriors as a matchup for a while because, as we all know, like the Celtics actually play the Warriors really well. Um, and they have. This entire stretch of their dynasty, they've played them really well. And we've talked about it for years. My husband and I have talked about this for years. Like It's just very weird. There's no one reason obviously Market Smart can defend Stephen Curry and like there are these little matchup things but every team in the league of all the teams in the league the Celtics are the only ones with a win winning percentage against you know uh, 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 above 500 against the Warriors during their dynasty time with Steve Kerr and there's a reason for that we nobody I've read so many analytics I've read 538 I've read so many things for you know to try to pinpoint exactly what it is Mm -hmm. um and you know with brad stevens still in the mix as the gm you know rather than the head coach it sort of feels like okay well brad stevens was at the head of those teams that did well against the warriors he's still there imaya udoka has his team gelling in a way that they never gelled before and matchup wise i just think defensively what they do um on the switch and things like that that they've like really shut showed us against the nets against the heat against the bucks that they can shut down any type of scorer on any given night. I, I, it's it's crazy, but like I would honestly be surprised at this point if the Celtics lose this series in anything less than seven games. I think they're going to win the series, but if they lose it, I think it goes to seven. Yeah, that's that's very interesting because to your point, it just kind of feels like the Achilles heel for Golden State has been Boston. And, and to your point about Brad Stevens still being in the front office, but you know, I look at Udoka, which to me feels if it was the right hire because of the tree he came from, you know, coming from that pop kind of like that defensive minded tree. And any coach that comes under Popovich is a pretty good coach if you sit around him for a long time. Right. But to your point, when you look at the Boston Celtics this year, like, I think all five of the starters had at least one vote for Defensive Player of the Year. Like, they're that Yeah, good. it's crazy. Yeah. It, 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 it blows my mind. And it, it, to your point, to kind of, to kind of uh, piggyback what you were saying, so we talk about the defensive matchups and we talk about, you know, you, you brought up Steph Curry, you brought Marcus Mark. Who do you think, you know, probably outside of maybe a Jason Tatum, a Marcus Smart, or Jalen Brown, who do you think is the X factor outside of, out of those three that could be pivotal pivotal in this series? For the Celtics, I do think um, Al Horford is like undeniable, but it feels a little bit like a crutch to, to say Al, because like, of course they're gonna need the center presence and they're gonna need three-point shooting against the Warriors. And that's something that Al can do. How many minutes can he play? He was inconsistent at the end of the series against the Heat. Um, so to me, I really feel like it's that whole big man position, which is a combination of Al Horford and Robert Williams. Um, 
And I don't think that that's anything, you know, shocking to say, like Robert Williams struggling with his injury, like they are going to have to go back and forth with those guys. And at some point they're going to have to lean on Daniel Tides, whether it's to come in and, you know, foul some guys and make it more physical or actually make some of those shots in the paint. Like they're those, every time the Celtics started to sort of backslide when they were either losing big leads or whatever else, it really felt like, uh, it was when they didn't have a healthy Robert Williams or he was mismatched or there was something up with him in the paint or when Al Horford wasn't able to hit, you know, shoot at all. Right. So Mm -hmm. like, yes, obviously to your point, like this is all with your, under the, the rules you gave me, which is obviously outside of Tatum and smart and Jalen Brown, who all will have to play at their best to beat a dynasty team. Like the warriors are not to be screwed with. I'm a Patriots fan, you know, so I know what a dynasty looks like and I know what it looks like to take subpar teams to a title and to win it purely because you have more experience and a team like the 2018 Patriots, right? They had no business making it to the Super Bowl, let alone winning it. But once they were there, once you're in that title game, uh, things are different. Experience matters. uh, Chemistry matters. Um, culture matters, right? And the Warriors have all of that. And so if you think you're going to go in and just take away everything that they do because you have the better matchups or you might be the more young, talented team, we saw how that worked out for the Rams. And I know that football and basketball are not the same, but the mentality of dynasty level teams when they reach a championship is the same. So you're going to need all your starters firing on all cylinders for a majority of these games and if they do that you know if they can play at their best the the when you know when they look their best against the box when they look their best against the heat um that includes that center position or you know the big man position because obviously the the five, the true five doesn't fully exist anymore but those big guys playing pretty strong and playing physically yeah and you know what and to your point you know i have wrote down a for this i, I wrote down Alford, ironically as someone who I think, you know, but look at Al Horford, listen, his his defensive box plus minus, he's first in the playoff rating in that. What I like about Al Horford, and I think in this matchup, I think it kind of comes down to the bigs. I'd argue for both sides because, you know, obviously we could talk about Steph, Clay, and Draymond all day. But I look at guys like maybe even like Kavon Looney, and I'm looking at – I think that I think he could be an X factor because of the way he's playing as well. So I think it kind of comes down to the bigs because obviously, like I said, Steph Clay from Golden State's going to show up. Tatum Brown Smart. I expect those guys to play. And like to your point, you kind of expect that. Yeah. At, at, at this stage in the game, and then before we transition, you 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 gave your prediction, so you swipe the question, which is fine. You swipe the question because. <laughs> I tend to do that. Yeah, it's it's okay. <laughs> but you you gave me so you gave me Boston potentially in seven, correct? I I think Boston. I my prediction is if Boston wins, they win in six. If they lose, they lose in seven. I think Boston will lose a game seven. So I personally, I think they win in six. My little my caveat is that if it goes seven, they lose. So that's my that's my thought. That's interesting. Yeah. Interesting. To me, I, I go back and forth because I look at Golden State and I go, well, it's just not Steph and Clay and Drake. Guys like Looney and like Jordan Poole. Even. Yeah, Jordan Poole's been great. Yeah. 
it's like it's not those you know the three that we always talk about when it comes to Golden State over the course of their their dynasty, over their run. But when I look at Boston, it's very hard to ignore defense because I've always believed that defense kind of carries over. And the way Boston has played defense in the regular season has carried over to the to the postseason. Like to your point, when you look at the way they play, like especially against the Heat, I look at that matchup and I go, they went on the road, game seven, and they, you know, I, I was thoroughly impressed. Like obviously Jason Tatum did Jason Tatum things. But to me, it, I'm down the middle because to me, it's my love of offense, whether it's football or any other sport, I love offense. But I can't ignore how great Boston's defense is. It's super hard to ignore. Like I said, when all five starters got a vote and it's like unprecedented, and like today's NBA, like great defense. And like, I think to your point with Brad Stevens in the front office, I think is a huge, huge factor. And like I said, Udoka, I think the perfect hire. And it's interesting. So I don't know what's going to play out. I mean, defensively, you know, the thing is they can play the best defense in the world if they can't score, which we saw them do for stretches at a time in all of the series they played, but specifically against the Heat. Um, Then that's a recipe for disaster. And so what is, you know, how do they change that? We saw how well they played in transition when they were really pushing the ball that was a huge win for them in Game 7 against the Heat. Um, when they really push the ball inside and utilize their you know, size in the paint, and if they can avoid ticky-tack, stupid little fouls, that's going to make a huge difference. When they start scoring, and Jason Tatum specifically gets help from those guys, not just on the perimeter, not just Grant Williams you know, and Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart jacking up threes, but really establishing rhythm, um, and then they're also playing the defense that they have, there's no question that the Warriors can't keep up with that, to me. Uh, d- defend If they're going to play the kind of defense that they've played and also establish scoring rhythm. The question is whether they do, because all it takes is Steph Curry to get hot, um, you know, or Draymond to start playing at his very best for things to shift. And that's a very quick shift. It's faster than playing even against Giannis or against Jimmy and Bam. Like, this is a whole different level. My the one thing I, that gives me hope is that uh, the analytics show that when Clay, Steph, and Draymond have been on the court together, they're actually less efficient. It's better when Steph and Draymond are playing together, and Clay is on the on the bench, or Clay is playing in there, you know, and he's playing well himself. But the three of them together have actually not been a great combination. So that opens things up for the Celtics to stay on you know, stay defensively in rhythm because if that's throwing off a balance for some reason, if you don't have to steal with Steph and Clay producing on the court at the same time, that opens things up for them. Yeah. And and it's to your point, it's amazing to your point of how Golden State plays, like the three on the court you would think would be super efficient. You would think like if you didn't look at the numbers. And it used to be, right? It used to be like up until this season that was obvious, but now that Clay is you know, a different, a little bit different from post-injury, you know? Yeah, it's it's amazing. And to me, I think that's what makes the series that much more interesting. Because obviously people are going to say, well, Golden State's the favorite, but it's the same thing I go back to when I talk about the Eastern Conference once before we transition. It's just that, like, with Boston played Miami. And people kind of slept on Miami. Yeah. You know, even though Boston yeah. was favored, and, and I kept trying to tell people, it's like, look, 
Miami's good. I, I think Boston could win the series, which they did. But I said the series was going six, seven games because you can't underestimate underestimate how good the Heat are. I know how good Boston is. Right. I don't have to, I don't have to be sold on. I saw, you know, regular season carried over. Like I said, their defense is carried over tremendously. But it, it's just going to be curious to see just how how Boston comes out tonight. Yeah, you know, yeah. How they come out tonight. I, it, I'm going to be very curious about how they come out tonight against, I, I would say, a fresher Golden State team, just to see how they come out and play. Hey, it's a different it's a different era from the last time the Celtics played in the finals, but we're all still a little scarred from losing Kendrick Perkins and what that did to the entire team. And I just feel like, you know, that's why you and I are focusing on that like big man role. So if we could see some good stuff from the big men on the court and like if they can stay healthy, that's going to make me feel good. If we start losing Grant Williams, I'm sorry, uh, Robert Williams and Al Horford for big stretches of the time or entire games at a time, like it's just going to make me nervous. So we'll see what happens. But um, I think that the Celtics could lose tonight and still win the series in six. So I'm not freaking out. See what happens. Yep, absolutely. I'll be looking forward to that. Now, switching from the NBA, let's go to the NFL and let's just talk about let's talk about Deshaun Watson because, like I say, I follow you on Twitter at Tanya Ray Fox. Follow her if you haven't. If you're not, shame on you. Now, you and it was interesting. Some of the tweets that I read, you were talking about Deshaun Watson, and to me, it just feels like you still have this somehow division where people I, I don't want to say don't understand the law. I don't want to question people. But it's, it's amazing to me now that a 23rd person has come forward. It, it still feels like to me where I think people have to understand if they haven't understood already the severity of this and and put and then to kind of put more on it, it, it just kind of feels like it's not going to end, even though it's going to end at some point. But I just want to get some of your thoughts, you know, on the situation and and do you think that the league, do you, do you think the league is going to actually suspend Deshaun Watson for any length of time this season? Uh, I do think that Watson will receive some sort of suspension based on other suspensions in the past. Um, how long it will be, if it would be an entire season, if it would be a chunk of games, like there's no telling. There's just no telling with the NFL. And because there's a third party involved that will be, you know, sort of legislating that, you also mm-hmm. can't always predict. Um, I do think that that's part of the reason that the Browns aren't getting rid of Baker Mayfield and kind of hedging their bets there. Um, they don't want to, you know, if they're going to, if they're going to have to roll either with Baker or, you know, trade him, like they're trying to keep, they're just trying to keep all options open for a reason. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't, I do think that there will be some sort of suspension. I, that's just, it seems crazy to me that there wouldn't be. The problem is, um, you know, in terms of the public perception of everything, there is obviously an increasing resistance to the idea that, um, that men can be held accountable without like video proof of something happening. Right. And we've been fighting this battle for a long time. Like, especially, you know, if we're talking about NFL players like Ray Rice, like he got suspended because there was a video of it, you know, and these are, these are things that was the same thing with the Kareem Hunt stuff. And like, this is all been a pattern that the NFL has established and that the law has established for people to try to understand in the Deshaun Watson case specifically, because there's so many accusers and because the accusers accounts are so graphic 
and so detailed and very specific and not vague. And because some people have attached their names to this and because most of them aren't actually looking for any large chunk of money. Um, my conclusion is that for most people, it is a willful ignorance rather than a legitimate ignorance. And by that, I mean, I think the majority of people who are defending Deshaun Watson, who say there's not enough evidence, how can you take the word of them over the word of him, all that stuff, for the, for the majority of those people, I think that it's not that they don't believe the women, it's just that they don't care. And I know that that sounds a little bit dramatic, but it's not as dramatic as, dramatic as it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, they think about who Deshaun Watson is, this rich, charismatic, good-looking NFL quarterback. And they think to themselves, yeah, maybe he got a little handsy. Maybe he was a kind of a creep. Why was he going to hundreds of Instagram masseuses when nobody in the NFL does that? Why was he being, and I think they look at all of this and they think, yeah, he's probably a little bit of a, a man whore, right? Like he's probably out there getting his, but they don't believe that the assault, that infringing on those women while they are hired to do a job qualifies rises to the level of sexual assault that someone should be held accountable for. They just don't care. So they like kind of believe the women. They they all kind of believe that something probably happened. They just don't think it's a big enough deal. And that's why it's a losing battle on Twitter with a lot of these people because when they say there's not enough evidence or I don't believe them, it's really more of a crutch. The reality is they kind of do believe it. They just don't care that it happened and they don't find it to be that big of a deal. But they're not going to say that specifically. So they say, well, I need more evidence before I believe them. Or they say things like that, which is not really fully the truth for most of these people. For the people who think that, you know, innocent until proven guilty is somehow like a thing that applies to just basic judgments of people, I'm here to tell you that it's not. I've People get crimes every day that people see. And just because they were never, you know, convicted of those crimes doesn't mean they didn't happen. If a tree falls in the woods, that's not how this works, right? So, like, plenty of innocent people are in jail. Legal guilt is not always actual guilt. And legal innocence is not always actual innocence. Now, I'm not here to say that if the justice system doesn't put Deshaun Watson in jail that we can go out there with pitchforks. But what I am saying is that that doesn't make him innocent. And I use my brain. And when 24 people tell me something, the same story, and one person tells me the opposite, I'm just going to use common sense. I don't care what they do for a job. I don't care whether they are women, men, non-binary, transgender. I don't care anything about who they are as people, how they identify. 24 people with one story and very, very, very little to gain and mostly something to lose against one person who has everything to gain by lying. This is common sense. Yeah. And, and, and to your point, you know, you know, I took criminal justice, went to school for it, got a, and, and to your point, the, what, the majority of what I see on Twitter when it comes to this matter, and I've even written about it to a greater extent, is, is that I think people you know, to your point, they look at the innocence to proven guilty concept and they just kind of run with it, which not the greatest idea in the world to do. 
because to your point, there's an actual difference between legal innocence, actually, to your point, people commit crimes every day. Now, there are innocent people who are sitting in jail, and we've seen countless stories of innocent people who are sitting behind bars. And I think to your point, when it comes to this Deshaun Watson situation, I think you still have some people who, to your point, may not essentially care, but they, they can't, you know, it's a roundabout way. It's kind of like in layman's terms type situation. And to the point, I think he will get some kind of su- suspension. You know, the length, I, I don't know. I'm not Goodell. I'm not, you know, but there's precedent for it, you know, to your point. And, and I kind of think, and I'll ask this before we transition, is, is that let's just say, and it kind of circles back to Baker Mayfield where I think they've held on to Baker because of this reason. And if you look at the way Deshaun Watson's contract is, he's not getting, I think he's getting like a million bucks this year because they're hinging on the fact that, okay, he may be gone for a chunk of the year. Right. But, but you know, to, to your point, and, and my question here is, if you're, if you're Cleveland now, and if you're Baker Mayfield, how, if you're Andrew Barry, how do you get Baker Mayfield, who essentially wants out, you've been trying to trade him, how do you get him back on board to hinge on the contingency that, you know, hope for the best, prepare for the worst, that Deshaun does get suspended, even if it is half the season or whatever chunk of the season? How do you get Baker back on board? Well, I'm not sure that you do. I guess the best way that you'd handle it is right now they're unwilling to cut him we know that they're looking to trade him so i think they're hoping that as time goes on they are able to package him to another team and get a backup quarterback to deshaun watson in that trade now whether that is with the panthers who don't seem willing to want to trade they seem like they're they're willing to let um the browns you know wait and cut him uh, whether it's to a team like the Seahawks and they end up with Drew Locke. Um, the Saints have sort of creeped into the picture as a team that might want Baker Mayfield because Jameis Winston doesn't seem to be quite healthy. But again, the Browns aren't going to trade him somewhere where they don't get a healthy quarterback in return. So I think that that's what they're trying to do. I think they've put themselves in a little bit of a difficult spot if they were going to try to ask Baker Mayfield to play. The problem for Baker Mayfield is that if he refuses to play, uh there is a like you know there's already character questions right with him and for potential teams that he'd play for and so if he does refuse to play and he does sort of say i'm not i'm not playing um you know what are the teams what are other teams going to think how much are they going to be willing to give up for him at the end of the day unfortunately baker mayfield still has more leverage than the browns do because teams need quarterbacks and he will end up on a team by a trade by a cut doesn't matter he's going to end up on a team you know if you're the browns front office you try to convince him he's not going to end up somewhere he's going to start unless he continues to play and prove himself i don't know if that's actually true but that's what you try that's how you try to play that game but really the true answer is trade him to the panthers trade him to the seahawks and get your quarterback now so that you have somebody installed for the preseason, you know, for training camp and the preseason and whatever, for when Deshaun Watson does eventually get a suspension, whether it is 
earlier this year, middle of the season. I don't know how they're going to handle it. To me, I think if you're going to hand out a suspension, it has to be you can't let him play and then suspend him. So I would assume it would be the start of the year. So, yeah, that's I, I just it's 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 a difficult it's difficult to see a situation where Baker Mayfield plays for them. Um, but, you know, <laughs> crazier things have happened yeah. and Baker is a little he's a little nuts. So I could also see him just trying to go out there and have an FU season and just do or, you know, a few games and do his best. And I mean, it would be pretty funny. Listen, I'm kind of off. I'm off the prediction train here. So this is just like hypothetical. But like it would be very funny to watch Baker have like the five, six, seven, eight best games of his career (laughs) and then have Deshaun Watson, who we haven't seen play football in a hot minute. Yeah. You know, um, and to, by the way, Deshaun Watson's a, an excellent quarterback. Aside from all the other stuff, he's an excellent quarterback. But we have a pretty, still pretty small sample size of what Deshaun Watson is capable of on a full season basis. So, you know, it would be just, it's just, there's a little hypothetical part of me that's like, make Baker play. And, and yeah. if he had this like amazing season, just Browns fans, they'd just lose their mind. Yeah. You know, I know a couple of Browns fans and I think, it would just be absolute chaos if, let's just say, Baker does play and he goes out there and he's looking like Tom Brady for eight games. <laughs> and you're then, oh, by the way, oh, yeah, Deshaun's coming back in week 10. Like, oh. Yeah. You know, so, and, you know, it, that would be interesting. I yeah. didn't think about that, but that would be the more I – I mean, it's, you know, it's such a, it's such an outside chance that that would ever happen. But, you know, the world is upside down, so you can't rule anything out. Yeah, it's it's like, it's like the snow globe. Yeah, it's up and it's, yeah, and it's just staying there. It's not even coming back up. Nope. But but before, before we get out of here, I would be, it would be wrong of me because I'm wearing my Roman Ranger. Yes, you are. You know, and, you know, I had to do it for a multitude of reasons because why not? And, and secondly, and we were talking about this before we came on that you were a, you're a WWE fan. So yeah. I guess, you know, kind of share a little bit about that and, and, and what are your thoughts on it? You know, thus far, I know you're a fan of a particular team. And so, uh, you know, not with well, tag team. Yeah. So, so we'll just, we'll just go with that. Yeah. So yeah, I, I was always like sort of like peripherally interested in wrestling cause I'm peripherally interested in basically every type of sport. Like, the X Games on, I'm watching. If wrestling, if there's a cool wrestling thing that happens, I'm watching the whole highlight. Something comes up on YouTube and it's an old like Steve Austin, you know, uh, like match from like 2001. I'm watching, and but I never really invested in actually watching the WWE regularly or any wrestling regularly until like right before the pandemic. I just start like slowly started getting into it. My husband would watch it and I'd be like, yeah, I'm down. Um, so. I like since then I've been like a regular like watch Raw, watch SmackDown, watch all the pay-per-views, all of it. Um, everybody keeps begging me to get into AEW, but I simply don't have time. It's not like anything personal, and I know it's probably great. I hear all the things, but like I don't have time for like that much wrestling in my life on top of regular sports. So yeah, it's like it's been awesome. Like I got in like right ahead of the Bianca Belair push, and she's like obviously one of my favorites. So I like I got in right there like. There's some. There's definitely some, been some ups and downs. There's been some times where I've been like, I'm out. I can't deal with this. These storylines, blah, blah, blah. And then they always pull me back in. So 
right now i obviously obviously everybody was on the arc the rk bro train I, I was loving it but i have been so so the first like year and a half that i watched or like year ish that i watched um it was when Jimmy Uso was still hurt. So I only really knew Jay Uso as like the right hand man to Roman Reigns. And I found him so annoying. And he was supposed to be annoying. He was supposed to be, right? And Roman, I just got so tired of the shtick. I was tired of Jay. And when Jimmy came back and they became the Usos again and they, you know, reunited and started their tag team run, I was like, oh, now I know why Jay Uso is a fucking legend. Because I thought, I'm like, what is, I don't get it. Like, I don't get his thing. And they're just so good. Like, I'm so anti, like, anti-Roman right now. He's great heel. I'm loving his heel moments. I'm always rooting against him. But, and I obviously, as a newer fan, I, like, tend to lean toward the faces it, for with certain exceptions, right? And the Usos are just, like, oh, they're just the best right now. I think they're so funny. They're super, they're just so talented. The, I've replayed Jay Uso's, jump from the corner onto the table on riddle like 75 times from last week have you do you have you seen that yeah i yeah. played it like 75 times i'm obsessed with it so yeah yeah there's the as far as the bloodline goes on on anti-roman pro usos right now that's like my my loyalties you know it's interesting because what i've always said about like roman reigns is is that like I remember when Roman I remember when people were legit booing Roman Reigns because he was trying to be a face. Right. And and those were some hard years, let me tell you. Someone's been watching it twenty I'm like I bet. Like it's like cause because I am and what I've always said is that with Roman, it was his work on the microphone. I think that got him to where he is because I remember a promo, it was on Raw. I can't remember the exact year. I, I can go find the clip on YouTube, but I cannot remember the year. That's how my mind works. But I remember he was in the ring with John Cena, who's obviously yeah. great on the mic. And, you know, God bless him. You know, he tried. Roman tried. And I think it was that moment to me where it's like, I think Roman knew he had to turn it around. Because I think the company believed in him, and they tried to – and they they tried to force people down our throat for years. Hey, like them, like them, like them. But with Roman, I said, well, if he gets better on the mic, this guy could be a champion. Because mm-hmm. I think that's the expert. Like he doesn't have to be like The Rock or The Miz. He doesn't have to be no. an all-time great on the mic. But if he can just command the people, make them heal, he did it. And now all of a sudden he's the heel. He's doing the exact thing that I expected. Like make him the heel, and you're gonna get and you throw in the Usos. Throw in the Usos. Yeah, they're right. perfect. Yeah, to to balance out his because like that's the thing is he is an epic heel. I mean he's he. This is an all time heel run. It will ne- we'll never forget it. Like this is because of the title that you know the two belts and all how long it's gone and all of that stuff and because he has the bloodline and always cheats a little bit like it's perfect right but the the thing about roman is that he to your point he's gotten 
better on the mic as a heel. He's learned how to use that. He's learned how to like interact with the crowd in that way. And he's also a really, really good in-ring wrestler. We don't see it all the time because he doesn't wrestle as much on the, you know, I mean, I know he's doing, you know, the house shows and things like that where he's doing a little bit more, but like we don't see it a ton on SmackDown. And even there's pay-per-views at this point, he's not wrestling, right? So, but when he is wrestling, like, his timing on the counts and like all these little things that he does that are like really special. And on top of it, just being a physical specimen, looking the way that he does and knowing how to use his body. They're all really impressive things that make him the perfect heel. As far as I'm concerned, like, I don't think anybody's doing it better right now. Um, like I'm an all, like I'm a huge edge fan. I've like gone back and watched as much edge as humanly possible. And I like, I think that that was to me in my head, I was like, there are some like edge heel runs that I really love. There's some, you know, I I'm also obsessed with Seth Rollins. So like, I, I think Seth Rollins is the best on the mic right now. I think he's just like on a, he's just on another level. Um, but he does something different, right? Like he, like to your point, like he can be, he could be on the mic for 25 minutes and you can't even tell Roman can't do that. But what he has learned to do is exactly right and you know what he has that other wrestlers don't is the physicality the look the body the whole vibe and like you can't really train that into somebody like you just can't you just either have it or you don't and he has it and that's a super cool thing the the thing i wish that i could see more are like really epic matches with roman because i think he has it in him to have these amazing matches and when he was on that little kick with seth rollins like a couple months ago I lost it. I was like, this is it. This is the best. They had the best chemistry, the way that they work together, that way Seth like gets into his head and he, his face totally changes. Roman becomes such a better face actor when he's up with Seth. Like there's just so much there. And I was like, I could watch these matches for the rest of my life. And they just like teased me with it and then took it away from me. But like, you know, overall, I like, I, I have to respect what he's doing all the time. I just wish they would give me an opponent for Roman that I can really get into because it's been a minute because I was tired of Brock like six months ago and now like it's just been like he's just a Uso sidekick like I'm gonna need what are we gonna do you you've been watching wrestling forever you tell me when are we gonna get a real a real guy for Roman to feud with come on uh, here's the thing you know that that's an excellent question because it's one that I've been thinking of because to my process, and I don't know how we'll get there, but I look at someone like Cody Rhodes. I look at them, him bringing, they brought him back, and I think they brought him back for a very specific reason. You don't get a guy like Cody Rhodes and not at some juncture have him face Roman Reigns, easily the top guy in your company. Right now, how do we get there? Does there's a draft? Do does Cody go to SmackDown? Or does Roman go to Raw? Because with Roman, Roman could go anywhere because... Yeah, Roman kind of can float, yeah. Yeah, so so it can work that way. I, Plus, he has both titles. So, like, at some point, you know, there's going to be Raw guys and SmackDown guys that are going to fight him. Right, and, and to your point, it's like, I like Drew McIntyre, but I've seen that with Drew. You know, I remember when he won the title during the pandemic and there was no crowd WrestleMania. There was no, I really felt for Drew because he had his moment and nobody was there. And I said, do I want to see Drew and Roman again? And I'm like, as great as oh, I, I want to, I want it. 
it, it, it's like, do, do what you want? Because I kind of feel the question becomes, and I'll say this before we wrap up, the question becomes, do I see, I see Roman potentially dropping a belt. Now, which one? I yeah. don't know. Right. But to me, I look at guys like Cody Rhodes sticks out because the field is open because he has both belts. It's not like if you're the Intercontinental Champion, well, you just yeah. got to worry about guys on, you know, SmackDown. And you're so it kind of feels like with Roman, the field is open, which is which is fun. It's just interesting to me. I look at Cody Rhodes and I'm like, that could be the guy. And like, to your yeah. point about Seth Rollins, what I love about Seth. But I've always loved about Seth. It's that when they had the shield, and I've always said this, I even go on this tangent, but I love talking about this. It's like I always use the concept of boy bands. And I said this on a podcast about <laughs> I don't know why, you know, I guess the I love I grew up with boy bands and that's the music we grew yeah. up in. So and I've always said that those groups were built for one person to be the star. Right. Like out of the four or five people in the group one's going to be the star. And we knew with Bad Free Boys, well, we knew who they ended up being in sync. We took it to, but I said with the shield, it felt like everyone was kind of a star, but Seth kind of had the slight edge because that's the first person who they turned heel. That's when Seth first turned heel. Yeah. And he Ironically, he hit Roman right in the back of the chair. I've seen that. Yep. Triple H is coming down. He's like, it's always time for a plan B. And then it's like, I'm like, oh, crap. I don't know which one, but I said, and it, I've seen the clip how many times? And I'm like, and it's like, well, who's gonna, who's it going to be? And it's like, and it was Seth. And I'm like, that guy's going to be a champion. Because, and I kind of feel that way with Seth, that, you know, in that concept where, like, every, like whether it's the Messiah whether any character that he has, he embraces it. That's what I like about Seth Rollins. To me, Seth can be face to heel, and I still love him. Yeah, no, he's since I've been watching, and like even the stuff that I've gone back, I've watched a lot of documentaries, I've watched old footage, whatever. Like to me, he's the most consistent in terms of being able to like be like at a nine or a ten every time. Like I, you almost never get like a flat performance from him. And I really can't say that about like almost anybody. I mean, maybe the only other person I can think of off the top of my head that I don't like never have gotten a flat performance from is Bianca. And Bianca's still learning how to be on the mic and things like that. So she's not as polished. Um, and Drew McIntyre, who's like obviously always at a 10 as well. Like these guys just like are always right in their character. But again, Drew hasn't had to go through as many stages as as uh, Seth has. So like. Yeah, he's a Seth's on my like personal like my like I've been watching for this many years. Seth's up there on my Mount Rushmore. Like I'm obsessed. That's my guy. Like just I ride with Seth till the end, which is why I'm oh I'm comfortable hating Roman extra, you know, because until they get back together, like Roman's on my bad side. Right. <laughs> and, and I think until your point before we wrap up, we could talk about this all day. Yeah. But to wrap up your point about Bianca, and I'll just say this: when she feuded with Becky Lynch leading up to you know at the whole thing with SummerSlam when Becky came back took the belt off of Bianca. Yeah. You know, that whole feud that culminated at WrestleMania, throughout that run, Bianca got better and better at the mic. And and I always Yeah she did that. I always stress that people go, why did you stress that? And I simply go, there have been a lot of talented people who've come through that company. You know, or any wrestling company. 
but you have to have some sense of mic skill because at some point you're going to have to cut a promo. Mm-hmm. Like you don't, like I said, you don't have, don't hold yourself to the Miz or the Rock or even, you know, to, to no, yeah. because like the Undertaker, he wasn't like he Mount Rushmore guy, but he wasn't asked to be great on yeah. the microphone. Yeah. Like you can listen, Bobby him. Lashley can't do shit on the microphone, but yeah. you know, he can, oh he's doing his thing. So, you know, listen, Tanya, listen, I, 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 I was gonna let, the, here's the thing. I was talking to my cousin. I'll say this before we really wrap up. The thing is, when Bobby Lashley, when he, when he first came back and he started talking, and I love Bobby Lashley. I love yeah. his fortune run with the company. Yeah. And they hit him the microphone, and I'm like, what is this man saying? <laughs> like, just, like, I, I, listen, just put Bobby in the ring, tell him to fight that guy. I don't want to hear him talk. Ever. <laughs> Like ever, and then I noticed they had to get like a mouthpiece for him yeah. because he couldn't talk. Like, yeah, which is the what you gotta do sometimes. Like it, you know, it worked for the amount of time it worked. Like you know, yeah. but yeah. And it's like even now, it's like I, I like the reason. I don't know. I, I understood why they took MVP away from him, but geez, like hey, I, I, listen, I. Hey, before before we're done, because we will be done, I need to ask you, is Becky Lynch ever going to be good at wrestling again, or are we done? Are we done with Becky Lynch being good at wrestling? <laughs> she done? She she cooked? Because, like, she's, she's riding off of reputation, Mike Skills, and, like, some crazy hairdos right now. That's what we're working with. Here's the thing. Here's what I will say. I think we've had this discussion about the four horsemen. We, we've had this discussion. And I made my feelings known about Charlotte Flair. But we're not going to talk about it. That's for another time you come on the show. Yeah. That, I know you're a big Becky guy. Yeah. But you're like, because to me, when I look at Becky, do I think we've seen the. I think there's still more left in Becky. I really do. I, I do feel like the question remains is like, where does she go? Like, after this triple threat match, it's going to be Helena Cell this weekend. Like, I, I'm going to just go on the limb and say that Bianca retains because I don't see Bianca dropping the belt all the way to WrestleMania. That's well, not- what I heard was that she was supposed to retain against Naomi, and that's what ended up, like, sending Naomi over the edge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. and that's a whole, once again. Yeah, different thing. But, yeah, yeah, so she yeah, probably will but, retain. Yeah, But you're right, because that whole thing, oh, man, I wrote about that. I, I went. But Oh, I'll have to read it. I'll go ahead and read it, yeah. Because the, the whole thing is, like, to your point, I think Becky, we haven't seen the last of Becky in the ring being great. I just think that, like, this is the run of Bianca. I just, I look at Bianca out of every champion that's right now. I feel that she potentially, if I had to bet, I would put cash money and say she's going to be the only one to to have a belt that's a champion today that's going to be the champion at WrestleMania next year. Because yeah. I, I don't see... Oh, I don't see if okay she loses to to Becky that makes no sense. You should lose the to me I can't play out who she loses to because I think the match that we're ultimately going to get is Bianca versus Charlotte. Right. Yeah. I do believe that's the match we're going to get because Bianca has done something that not a lot of women can say. She's beaten three of the four horsewomen. Mm-hmm. Like whether we like she's beaten Sasha. She's beaten. Becky and she's beating Bailey. Like, if she beat Charlotte, 
Yeah. You know, I don't know. Well, that's how you do the, like, that's how you pass the torch, right? It's like at some point she's going to have to, Charlotte's going to have to pass the torch to somebody who is like a serious title contender at all times, regardless. And like a lifer, like not somebody who's going to come in and out. And obviously I, I actually really love Sasha Banks as a wrestler, but obviously she has other things going on. Becky has taken time off. No worries. I'm sure Bianca at some point will have to take time off. Same thing. But like just in terms of being like a lifelong, like I'm going to do this until I'm like can't physically do it. It's going to be Bianca, right? So like you got to pass the torch to somebody. And to your point, like as far as somebody young enough in the WWE, new enough in the WWE to carry it for the next 10 years, that's not like tired. That's not like a middle of the show kind of performer like she's really it you know i mean i i'll be excited to see what they do with rhea ripley at some point like i hope she comes along the way that they want her to um like the women's division's a little rough right now but you know bianca and rhea are really like holding it down for the hope of like people who've come up in the last couple of years to try to do something so like fingers crossed (laughs) oh my god you're absolutely right listen i gotta have you back on just talk wrestling I'm saying. I know. So before we put a bow on this, uh, tell the amazing people where they can find you and all the things that you do. Yeah. So um, at Tiny Ray Fox on Twitter and Instagram, and I've started doing TikToks. I do with some sports related TikToks. That's been really fun. So follow me on all three of those platforms. They all kind of cross over. Um, my podcast, Almost Shameless, that is on C- the CLNS platform, so you can find it anywhere that you do your podcasts. Um, like I said, I've been on hiatus since um, about March, so like right after, you know, there was like postseason stuff, and then I started doing wedding stuff. So we've been on hiatus. Uh, as I would say, as training camp starts to pick up, then almost Seamus will pick up as well. Um, but keep an eye out for that. Subscribe because once we go back live, it's once a week. So go back and then go through the archives, listen to all my takes that were good and all my takes that were bad, of course. Um, yeah. And so that's where you can find me and all my content and, uh, yeah, just, uh, tweet at me, TikTok at me, do what you got to do. Absolutely. And I think, I think I got to follow you on TikTok. I think I follow you everywhere outside. Yeah. It's a newer, it's a newer venture for me. So yeah. (laughs) But once again, check out, you know, go back and listen to her, her podcast. You know, I listen to them. They're fantastic. You know, it's just, just great. And, one, and once again, Tanya, thank you so much for coming on again. Thank you. Thank you so much. Talking, you know, that wrestling, like I said, we got to have you back on at some point. I got to have yeah. you back on. Sounds good. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Ladarius. This is awesome. And we'll, uh, we'll definitely chat soon. All right. And to all you watching, have a great rest of the day. Enjoy game one of the NBA finals. Be real. Be Go real. Celtics. And what she said. And be real. Be you. Be blessed. And be safe. Yeah. Mm-hmm.